All right, welcome to class. Let's go down on the volume a bit there, Greg. I'm going to be blowing out Chris this morning, waking him up, waking him up with too much volume. So I want to do that. He'll start having visions like Daniel, taking him back to his mystical days, his pre-conversion days. Are you quoting John on? We're quoting John on there. All right. Chris is reading the Puritans. I like that. Okay, well, we're going to talk about Daniel's visions, and these are in the Bible, so... They're biblical visions because they were inspired by God, given by God, and before the Bible was uh, concluded, canon was closed. All right, so we have here the book of Daniel. Y'all got to remind me where we stopped last week. Was it key chapters? Key chapters. What are the key chapters? All of them. All of them. It's the only book we've done that so far. But let me pray and then we'll start. Lord, we thank you for every book of the Bible. Everyone is important. Every book is vital. And we know that in Daniel, you've put many things, some easy to understand, some more difficult. We pray that your spirit would work in us to study the book, to desire, uh, to want to understand its meaning, to interpret it rightly. We just pray, Lord, that it would encourage us in times of trouble, tribulation, and that we could look forward to the return of Christ. We know that man's kingdoms that man's empires will not ultimately stand and that christ the messiah will reign upon the earth someday so we look forward to that and uh, thank you for this book to point us in that direction in jesus name amen okay the book of daniel a prophet but also a uh, one of the writings to the hebrews they included it in their writing section and so we've just been surveying the book this is old testament survey Part three, really. We've been doing this for over a year now, and we're nearing the end. Hopefully, we'll be done by the end of this year with the Old Testament survey. And our goal is not to get into too much in-depth study, although when we look at some of the interpretive issues in Daniel, we're going to go a little more in-depth. I'm going to have to watch the time so that we don't go too much in-depth. But we do want to survey it mainly so that when you're reading the Bible, you can understand it better. That's the main purpose here. But also, if you ever join a Bible study or hear a sermon series on a book, that it will help you to work through some of these things. So we looked really at the the events, uh, the reason it's there. Remember, it's there so that we would understand that the Gentiles would rule for a time, but ultimately uh, Christ is going to reign, and ultimately God's going to keep His promises. So this is the way the Hebrews saw it here, the three different uh, sections, the three different sections here of their Bible. Ours is arranged a little differently. That's okay. Uh, Jesus called Daniel a prophet. The theme, God's sovereign plan for Israel, Israel's prophetic panorama. Israel would suffer under the times of the Gentiles. So they're wondering, why are we in captivity? What's going to happen? God talks about that in the book of Daniel, as well as Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. We looked at the three different uh, main points. Remember, chapters 2 through 7 are in Aramaic. Why are they in Aramaic? You guys remember that? We talked about that last week. Who was awake last week? Some people over here. It was the language of the Babylonian, the empire, really. It was a, the whole empire spoke Aramaic. So the Jews could understand this section, no problem. But also, the Babylonians could read and understand it. They could make sense of it. They could see uh, what Nebuchadnezzar was going through and what he was confessing, what he was saying. And so this would be almost, uh, we wouldn't call it evangelistic, but it would be something they could read and at least see there is the Most High God, the one true God of Israel. 
who is doing these things. And then 8 through 12 returns to the Hebrew, because there it's more focused on the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. Key chapters, really, we have to summarize all of them. So we're just going to do a quick summary. I'm assuming you've already read it and studied it in detail, right? At least sped read it. We're going to speed we're going to speed summarize it right now. So the book of Daniel here in chapter 1 we start off in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim uh, king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this starts off with Nebuchadnezzar's siege against Jerusalem the first one not the one where the city was destroyed but the first one when he carried away in verse 2 uh, the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with the vessels of the house of God that's going to be important later in the book of Daniel. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths, and whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, who has the ability to, for serving in the king's court. It's not just good-looking in their face, of course, but just healthy. These are healthy young men. They show some aptitude. They're going to be used of Nebuchadnezzar in his royal court. So that's really how Daniel gets brought to Babylon, how he gets put into the king's service. Of course, we have the, the Daniel diet right there in chapter 1. Everybody went home and followed the Daniel diet last week, right? Only vegetables, lost like 40 pounds. There's a lot of secret churches that do the Daniel diet. Only eat vegetables at the beginning of the year. I don't know why it's... January, but it's always at the beginning of the year to, to coincide with your goals, I guess. And uh, some churches, like um, some close to us, do a Daniel prophetic prayer month in January. Not sure what that is. But anyway, he just was showing them that God was, that God's people could rely upon him. They didn't need the king's choicest foods to be healthy, to be of sound mind. Also, there's some kosher issues there with the Jewish law. So that's chapter one. Two, we get into Nebuchadnezzar's image, and he has this dream, the dream of the, the uh, statue here. Um, he can't, nobody can figure it out. He calls all the sorcerers, and he calls the different wise men. They can't figure out what's going on. Of course, Daniel is the one who reveals it. So starting in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He said, let the name of God be blessed forever. He tells the king, this is um, the God, my God, the one true God who is revealing this. No one else can understand it. So um, he reveals the dream there in verse, uh, starting in 36. He tells them the different parts of the statue. So we'll look at that as one of the interpretive issues, I think, later today. Nebuchadnezzar um, must think the statue is really great because in chapter 3 he builds a statue of himself. So, hey, uh, Daniel says, I'm the golden head. I'll just build a whole statue of myself that's golden and have people bow down to it. Of course, Daniel and his three friends won't do it. Daniel's not mentioned here, so he must be away on business probably. But the three friends of Daniel, the ones who lived with him, young Jews who came to Babylon with him, to serve in the king's court, uh, refuse to bow down. So 3.6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Anybody need handouts? Do we have any handouts left? We're out. Fresh out, Carl? Carl's a handout, man. Fresh out of handouts, sorry. If you don't bow down to the statue, 
you're going to be thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So they build the statue. They call everybody out. They start playing these instruments. And, and they're expecting here people to bow down when they hear the music. 310, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down shall be cast into the midst of the blazing furnace. Well, Daniel's three friends don't do it. What are their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names, not their Hebrew names, right? Their Hebrew name, that doesn't sound like, you know a good Babylonian, right? Aramaic? That sounds like Aramaic names. What's their Hebrew names? Yeah, what verse is that? I'm not looking at it right now. 37? Oh, chapter 1, yeah, when they come with Daniel. 1-7, Hananiah, that's Shadrach. Then Mishael and Azariah. Those sound like good Hebrew names, right? That's what you name your kids. You don't name your kids Babylonian names. Y'all make sure young people, you know, if you're going to do it, make sure it's more Hebrew biblical than uh, than Babylon. And don't name your kids Ammon and some of the bad guys, you know, like um, Ammonites. I, I knew a guy who named his kid Ammon from the Ammonites. You know, Amalek. You're going to name your kids Amalek? So the, the three friends don't do it. What happens? They get thrown into the furnace and uh, suddenly they don't die. Now the guards who threw them in died because they got so close and the fire was so hot. But these three friends don't die. And look what the king says in 325. Look, I see four men loosed. So th- he, he threw three in. There's four men in there. They're walking about in the midst of the fire without arm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Who's that son of the gods? I think it's the pre-incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ is in there with them. And I don't know what they're doing. It's sort of like on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. What are they doing? Talking? Praying? I'm not sure. But I think the pre-incarnate Christ is making an appearance again here in the Old Testament. And uh, there must be something even shining. There must be a glory about him because even a pagan king can recognize a son of the gods. He's brighter, probably shining brighter than the fire even is shining. So the king calls him out, lets him go, and basically says, look, this God of yours must be mighty powerful. 328, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. I think this is the angel of the Lord, of Yahweh, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. And delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, he's making a law, that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against this God shall be torn from limb, limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who's able to deliver in this way. Wow, this is such a powerful God that if he can do this, no one should speak against him. No one should speak against the one true God. And if that's the case, Nebuchadnezzar will punish them. So we're just taking a little jet tour. Maybe a little too slow of a jet tour, but it's all right. It's Daniel. I mean, we have to slow down and dig in a bit. In chapter 4, he has another vision. Nebuchadnezzar does another dream. uh, Really a combo dream. The great tree and the cow. He needs help. Nobody can interpret it but Daniel. Now, 
Daniel shows up here in um, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, again, Daniel, Hebrew name, they all get new names. So one of the ways you show ownership of somebody is to give them a name. So the king gives them a new name when they come and serve him. Belteshazzar is Daniel's name. Tell me its interpretation. Because the king knows Daniel can figure this out. And as much as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy God is in you. So Daniel interprets the rest of the chapter. He interprets the vision. Look at verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. So this this vision was about the king going crazy for seven years because he had exalted himself. And one of the interpretive issues we're going to look at is the king converted here. Because he, he basically writes this chapter. four one Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. So maybe he called Daniel in one day and said, Daniel, I'd like to have you write down my story. That was inspired by God. It gets put in the book here. Again, this is in Aramaic. So the people of Babylon, if they have access to the scroll, at some point they can understand this. So the king has a vision about the tree that's basically cut down by an angel and uh, the cow that doesn't uh, have much meat on it. And so we have this idea here that he's going to go crazy, and he does. He grows long hair, he grows long nails. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, even previous to Daniel, like in Jeremiah, for example, it says Nebuchadnezzar is a servant of God. God's going to send Nebuchadnezzar to punish his own people. All the blessings that were given to Nebuchadnezzar were the doing of Yahweh, God, and yet... Even though he had a dream, even though Daniel interpreted the dream, he still says, look at what I built. Look at how great I am. And it says here, while the word was in the mouth of the king, he hadn't even finished speaking. A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over you till you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. So that happened. You can imagine his servants hiding him away somewhere. This isn't recorded anywhere in secular history. Why would it be? Even today, uh, the media tries to sort of brush over the things that happen to the people they like. Well, if you're the king's advisors and you're writing the history of the time, you're not going to talk about those seven years the king went crazy, lived out in the barn in the back, ate grass, grew long hair, had long fingernails. But at the end of that period, verse 34, he raised his eyes toward heaven. He finally humbled himself and reason returned to him. He blesses God. And that's when he says his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Lots of lessons already for us in Daniel for our time. We're, we're like Daniel living in Babylon in a sense, aren't we? In fact, in the New Testament, Peter 
mentions Babylon as being like the Roman Empire, like the city of Rome. Uh, we are Christians in a strange land waiting for our ultimate home. And so there might be times when you're told to do something or you'll be thrown into the furnace. We're getting more and more to that point, I think, in our country. Well, there will be times where we're asked to make choices that are pagan, that are unbiblical. And you're going to suffer if you don't do what the people want you to do. It might just be a job or in your career. Or it might be something to do with the government and churches. We don't know yet. Uh, we've seen some hints of that over the last few decades. Um, also with Nebuchadnezzar himself. If we start looking around saying how great and wonderful we are, you don't think God's going to humble you? Just because, well, I'm not a pagan like Nebuchadnezzar. Well, there's plenty of other verses in the Bible that speak of God humbling his own people, doesn't it? God humbling even Christians who are regenerate. And so he gives, he gives grace to the humble, but he humbles the prideful. Moving on to chapter 5. Now we have a king called Belshazzar. We'll talk about him and the interpretive issues. Not Daniel. That's Belteshazzar. This is Belshazzar. And that's the famous writing on the wall. Belshazzar is king over the city at this time under his father's rule. And he is having a, a great time uh, partying it up, even though the Persians are outside, ready to take the city at any moment. Who cares? Belshazzar says that Babylon's great. Basically, this is what he's probably thinking. Babylon's great. We've got these thick walls. We haven't been conquered in a long time. And so he gets out all the vessels from the house of the Lord, from the temple, the golden vessels. Bring them out. Let's drink out of them. And let's praise the gods of gold. Let's praise the gods of silver. Let's praise the gods who give us all these riches. Well, the hand shows up on the wall and scares this king. The wise men couldn't figure out what the saying was. They called all the Chaldeans, all the diviners. What does this mean? Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. And that's going to be Daniel. So verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke, said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? So this isn't a direct son of Nebuchadnezzar. But remember in the Bible, fathers are ancestors. And particularly if you have a famous ancestor, well, that's my father. You know, you want to claim him. So everybody wants to claim Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest Babylonian king. So Daniel's an old man by this point. He's still around, though, and he's still being used. Maybe he had been forgotten for a while. They call him in here. Um, I've heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you. This is how pagans would view Daniel here. And that illumination, insight, extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. So he goes on explaining. Verse 17, Daniel says, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. I don't even want your rewards. I don't want your money. I don't want your authority. For two reasons, I think. One is this is different than Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this king has desecrated these things from the temple. Also, Daniel knows what's about to happen that night, so it's no use to have all these things. And he says, uh, However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. 
because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive. Whomever he wished, he elevated, whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and in his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, his glory was taken away from him. So he's talking back uh, to chapter 4, where Daniel was driven away from mankind. He was like a beast. He dwelled with donkeys. He ate grass like cattle. Verse 22. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. So here it is again. Pride. You've not humbled yourself. You've not learned the lesson of your grandfather or grandfather-in-law, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, stone, which you did not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and all your ways, you have not glorified. So Daniel translates the message. The message is in Aramaic. They just don't understand the meaning of it. They can, they can read the words. Mene, mene, tekel, aparson. So the interpretation, mene, it means numbered or counted or weighed. Uh, counted, sorry. Next one's weighed. Weighed. God has uh, numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. So it's been numbered. It's been counted. And he says that twice. Numbered, numbered. Your kingdom has come to an end. It's up. Mene. God has uh, numbered your kingdom. Sorry, Mene is numbered. Tekel, you have weighed on the scales and found deficient. So Tekel is weighed out. You've been weighed on the scales and you're deficient. You have desecrated the utensils from the temple. And you have not shown honor to the God who blessed your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. And Paris, your kingdom has been divided. Paris is divided. It's going to be given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel. I mean, he's so clueless here. He just thinks, hey, this is great. You, you, you figured it out. There you go. Take the purple, take the gold. You're now the third ruler in the kingdom. Because Belshazzar is the second ruler in the kingdom. His father is number one. And... Uh, the same night, that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Talk about a fast prophecy that comes to fulfillment. You know, we read in Isaiah things that haven't yet happened. We even see at the, by the end of Daniel some things that haven't happened yet. This one's immediate, within a few hours. You don't humble yourself. Look what's going to happen. All right, chapter 6, so we have a new king. In this chapter, he's called Darius. We'll talk more about who that is later. He makes a decree. He's tricked by his advisors. Anybody who doesn't worship the gods or worship like you want them to, throw them in to the lion's den. So the famous Daniel in the lion's den, God saves Daniel from that. We're going to speed up here and go a little quicker now. Uh, Daniel has uh, a vision himself in chapter 7. Four beasts. We'll look at these four beasts later. Chapter 8, similar. Uh, he has a ram, goat, and little horn vision. Now we're getting into some deep waters. What are these things? This is so accurate, really, the way he lays this out. This is one of the things that liberals will say, you know, Daniel must have been written later, right before the time of Christ. It's too accurate. It's too specific. He couldn't have known these things. Well, yeah, he can if God has given it to him. This isn't a guy just showing up, just a holy man, a Buddhist monk just showing up, spouting off things. 
This is a prophet of the one true God. Chapter 9, 70-week vision. The uh, 70 weeks, many believers have gone back and forth on what that means, different views on that. It has to do with the coming of the Messiah and the end times. Chapter 10, uh, Daniel's then prepared by Michael, the archangel. So in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the message was true, one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. So he goes on to talk about uh, what he saw. And uh, chapter 11, he's, he gets into the 69 weeks, the 70th weeks. Um, by 12, he's sealing up the book and the end. So this is how it ends. Uh, the angel basically tells him, go your own way, do your own thing. You're going to die and your people will go through all these things I just told you. But in the end, you will be blessed. You will be raised again. Look at verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains the 1335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Go on, Daniel, live a holy life until it's done. Till you go to see the Lord enter into rest and rise again. You'll be resurrected for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So we're already seeing this theme here of a resurrection, of a time when the righteous will be raised again. Chapter 12, verse 2, even many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There's a type of belief called universalism where everyone will be saved so there's christians who are, say that everyone will be saved we won't debate right now whether they're actually christian or not we'll just say that belief is out there because it is it's getting more and more popular right now all religions will ultimately lead to god and they'll use as text throughout the bible the texts that speak of those who are blessed will go to be with the lord and then they'll forget about these that are parallel what does he say? It's parallel, just like Jesus said in the Gospels, right? Many who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but on the other hand, the disgrace and everlasting contempt. The universalists will say, well, some people might go to hell for a little while. Then they're ultimately going to end up in heaven. Well, Daniel and Jesus says everlasting. That's eternal, forever and ever. And there's two groups, everlasting life, everlasting contempt, punishment. So already in the Old Testament, we can see that doctrine coming out clearly. Any questions so far over the chapters? That was kind of quick. You're supposed to read these on your own. It'll help you, I think, make sense of the classes when you do that. Key verses. Key verses. So God's kingdom, let's look at 244. God's kingdom will be supreme. These are verses that stand out to most of us or maybe to scholars who are studying the book. Uh, Haley, can you read 244 and 45? And then, uh, Chris, why don't you do 7, 13, and 14 after her? So already here talking about the kingdom of God, talking about the coming king, the one who would crush all the other kingdoms. And then we get more details on this king in 713. So this is a key passage. Jesus points to this. In fact, when Jesus talks of the Son of Man, you see in verse 13, one like a Son of Man was coming. That's what he's referencing here. He's not just saying, I'm one of Adam's sons. He's referencing this son of man vision in Daniel. And he calls himself son of man a lot. It's his favorite title for himself, son of man. 
Also, you remember when he's with the high priest and the high priest wants to know, are you the one? Are you that you claim to be the son of God? You claim to be the Messiah. And what's he say? You'll see me coming on clouds, lightning, all of this vision. Well, that's again pointing back here. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. So the Jews understood this was a messianic passage. And when Jesus refers to this over and over, he's connecting himself with this son of man, with the one who will receive the kingdom from the father from the ancient of days and will reign an everlasting dominion, an everlasting kingdom. Of course, when he said that to the high priest, what happened? That was it. That was enough. Time to go. Time to be crucified. That's all the answers we need. The guy's testifying against himself. Okay, 924. We see... This 70 weeks vision, 70 weeks has been decreed for your people and your holy city. So what about my people? What about Israel? What about Jerusalem? It's been destroyed. The people have been taken into captivity. So here's what's going to happen. This 70 weeks is to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So this is it. This is the big picture. Everything that's going to happen from Daniel's time all the way, what we would call the second coming of Christ. Everything. It has to be all the way to the end. That's not really debated here because it's seal up vision, seal up prophecy. Uh, there's atonement. That's the first coming of Christ. Daniel didn't think and say and write in terms of first and second coming. That's New Testament language. First coming, he came to the cross. He died for his people. He was raised again on the third day. Second coming, he comes back to reign, to make all things new. So we'll get into some dates later, but everyone pretty much, all believers anyway, agree as you study it. The first 69 weeks is pinpointing the coming of the Messiah, uh, probably the triumphal entry. I won't be dogmatic about that when we get to that interpretive issue, but uh, somewhere around there, it's pretty close to Jesus's entry into Jerusalem to be crucified. The 70th week is the debate. Uh, between amillennial and premillennial and probably even postmillennial. What is the 70th week? How do we interpret it? How do we figure that out? I thought we might get to that today, but probably not. 12, 1 and 2, we already read. Everyone who's found written in the book of life will be rescued. We read verse 2. Let me show you verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard of the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress. So there's a time coming for Israel such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So whatever this time is, it's in the future. It's not the captivity. That's already happened with Daniel. It's not the destruction of Jerusalem, but a great time at the end, he says, at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Then he goes on to talk about the resurrection. If you like other verses, that's fine. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in chapter four with what the king says about God's sovereignty. So you could pick out some key verses there. The weeks are going to be years. So we've got to talk about that. That's why our math majors in the class to work on that. But it has to do with converting to our calendar from the Jewish calendar. Yeah, that's number what? What interpretive issue is that? Nine, ten, seventy weeks. Well, 483 years is the 69 weeks. So I'm going to do the math for you. Um, if my iPad was still working, I could like draw it out here. But we're going to do the math. It doesn't come out right according to our calendar. But there's something different about the Jewish calendar in Scripture that will help us there. But because it says the Messiah will come, he will make atonement. We know that that's the cross. We know that that's the final sacrifice. So again, everybody pretty much agrees that 69 leads us up to the crucifixion. The trick is going to be what's the starting date 
And then the debate often is around that 70th week. So Daniel's uh, challenge, it's a challenge. And many um, good and godly people have disagreed on the end times views there. And our goal here is not going to be to solve all of those. I've got some interpretive options that we'll look at when we get there. And I'll tell you my view, but uh, you have to work it out yourself. So key people, Daniel, that's a key person, right? He was departed to Babylon by the age of 16, served in government, the mouthpiece of God to Gentile and Jewish nations. He's a young man when he's taken. He lives a long time, all the way until the Persians take over, and he serves the first Persian king as well. Belteshazzar, that's his Babylonian name. A lot of names in Daniel. Sometimes you read these Old Testament books and you say, what is going on with all these names? That's the ones in the men's Bible study, the, the passage with all the hard names that we pick on a guy, like we did with James, I think, last week. Or did you volunteer for that one in Esther with all those names? Did you volunteer for that one? You did, you did really well with those Hebrew names, the hyphen. No, you did, you, did like, you did very well, like a Hebrew scholar would do. There's a lot of names, and it's important to have a sheet maybe like this handy so you can look through the different names or a study Bible that helps you there because it can get confusing. We talked about the three friends. They were chosen for special training with Daniel in government. They went through the fiery furnace and gives their Hebrew names there. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the son of Nabopolassar. He's the king in 605. That same year he becomes king, he takes on the Assyrians, he defeats them, and marches immediately upon Israel and defeats Israel as well, takes Daniel into captivity. So here he is. I'm sure that's what he looked like, right? There's a, a symbol that they found with some chicken scratch around it. That's actually a language, Akkadian. Looks like little chicken scratch marks. And those are words. So there are people who study Akkadian and can read that. 605 BC, he defeated the last army of the Assyrians. He also invades Jerusalem, takes Daniel. He comes back in 597 because the um, city has rebelled. The king at that time has said, look, we're tired of the Babylonians. We can, we can hold off now. We built up a bit. Nebuchadnezzar comes back, lays siege, takes Ezekiel. He destroys the city burns it, levels it in 586. Not many dates you need to know in the Old Testament. 586 is a key date. He levels the city. There is no more temple at that point, and he destroys them. That's the book of Jeremiah at the end, and things just go into chaos there. Why? Why, why did God do that? Y'all remember from Jeremiah? The sins of worshiping other gods. Also, not treating one another rightly. Of course, that's going to happen when you're a pagan, suddenly, you're going to treat people like pagans and not like fellow peoples of God. So it tells us all throughout the Old Testament why God was going to do that. He warned them, he warned them, he warned them, he warned them. They wouldn't listen. They were stiff-necked. And now this king dies in 562. So a very famous Babylonian king. Lots of records in history about this guy. People like to challenge the Bible's historicity. But we can just match it up with what they find in the dust. And it matches up great. And the things that don't match according to secular standards, well, we just haven't found all the material yet. We haven't found all the records yet. And if God was to suddenly make them appear out of the dust, out of the sands of time, it would match up perfectly because Scripture is without error. Other key people, Darius the Mede. Who is this guy? 
There is no one in secular history called Darius the Mede. So we're going to have to talk about him. There's all kinds of different names for him. When we get to number five, is that Cyrus? Is that Ugbaru, Guberu, Cambyses, and a non-historical person? If you thought the Babylonian names were bad for your kids, try some Persian names. Ugbaru and Guberu. There's a good one for your next one, Thomas. Cyrus, so he is mentioned by the end of Daniel. He's the king of Persia. We got lots of records on Cyrus in secular history. Uh, he allowed the Jews to go back to Palestine. So this is a key figure. This is one of God's anointed pagan kings. He says in Isaiah, Cyrus is his anointed because he's going to let the people go back and he's going to punish Babylon. Belshazzar, king of Babylon after his father, Nabonidus, and Nebuchadnezzar. He's either a grandson or grandson-in-law to Nebuchadnezzar. And then uh, Gabriel, another archangel mentioned in chapter 9. So we have Gabriel and Michael. So for the longest time, people said, the Bible's wrong. This Belshazzar is not the last king of Babylon. This guy Nabonidus is. And he's not mentioned. Instead, it's Belshazzar. So therefore, the Bible must be wrong. Well, then they found this little thing. Back then, if you're a king and you want to have a record, you make a cylinder with all that chicken scratch Akkadian on there. And it's made out of clay and it'll last a long time. So they dug this thing up and it's Nabonidus's records. Of course, he's the last king of Babylon. And on there, he says, as for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring. Turns out the Bible's right once again. Shocking, right? a believer that's not very shocking but there it is Uh, everyone's making fun saying daniel's wrong daniel made up these things it's written later and right there the king which is the last king turns out to have a son turns out this son is put in charge of the city and the dad just disappears for 10 years here you go son take over babylon i'm going out into the desert to worship the moon goddess that my mother worshiped and I'm going to rebuild her temples. Her name was Sin. What a name for a false god, right? Sin. Interesting. The moon goddess Sin. So Nabonidus goes out into the desert. He kind of goes on a pilgrimage for 10 years. Until he hears the Persians are coming back. And he runs back to Babylon as fast as he can. Cyrus kills the son. Takes the dad captive. Supposedly sends him off to a province to rule as a governor under the Persian king Cyrus. But once again, archaeology confirms the Bible. Same guy as Daniel chapter 5. What about Cyrus the Great? He's actually the second Persian king named Cyrus, but we just call him the Great. Anytime somebody does something good for Christians in history, they're called the Great. Constantine the Great, Theodosius the Great, Cyrus the Great. He does something good for the people of God, Israel. There's his uh, image on his tomb. He saw himself as kind of a a god, which was unique for the Persians. Uh, They didn't worship the kings, but he thought he was blessed by their god. Do you remember anybody here from my backgrounds empires class? I don't remember the name of the Persian god. They really just had one god that they worshipped. What was the name of him? You got to know this stuff. It comes back around in modern history. His name was Ahura Mazda, just like the car maker. In fact, that's where the Japanese got it. They found this guy's name somehow and named their line of cars after him. Mazda comes from 
the Persian god Ahura Mazda. So there's a drawing of what he liked to think of himself as, kind of like this angelic being with wings. Uh, he also had a star and a gold helmet. He thought he was um, Captain America, I guess. Is that, is that like Captain America? Captain Persia. He was Captain Persia. He was a great conqueror, a great general. He took over Babylon. He, he, he wiped out their empire and their army. He was also prophesied in Isaiah. He was called my shepherd by God and God's anointed. God's anointed means God's Messiah, not the ultimate Messiah, but one that God had anointed for a purpose. What was that purpose? To punish Babylon. Assyria gets sent by God to attack Israel. God punishes Assyria. Babylon gets sent by God to attack Israel. God punishes Babylon. What do you think is going to happen to the Persians? They'll ultimately be wiped out as well. The Greeks wiped out. The Romans wiped out. And ultimately, only the Messiah's kingdom will last forever and ever. Daniel talks about all of those. A couple of commentaries I like. Uh, Daniel and, and the New American Commentary set. Also like Wolverd, the key to prophetic revelation. There's really not a, a super great commentary on Daniel. There's not one that I would just say you must have. But these are kind of helpful to look at the different views, to look at how people have thought about these. Those two guys are premillennial, so they'll take the premillennial view. But there are other commentaries that are helpful out there from other viewpoints as well. All right, interpretive problems. The thing you've been coming for, the one you've been waiting, the debates, right? No, we don't have debates in here. I just tell you the options that have come up in commentaries, really. And if you were going to study this book, read this book, or teach this book, you would need to know these are out there. So when was the book written? Well, it has to be written before the things happen because they're visions of the future. But liberal scholarship today is not about what the book says, not about what God inspires. Uh, liberal Christian scholarship is about undermining Scripture and just taking it as a man-made document. And again, they can't see how Daniel could prophesy the Greeks, the Romans, even the Persians before they came. How can, how can Daniel do that? From a man-made perspective, it's not possible. So they say it must be 165 or 150, roughly the time of the Maccabees. I'm going with the interpretation of Scripture here, 530. 530 B.C. is when the book was finished. Okay, now we have another issue. And you probably never saw this all the times you read Daniel. Who's seen this issue? Go to one one. So we're assuming the book of Daniel's chronological. Starts when he gets taken. Goes as he sees these visions and events in his life all the way through the end. So on one one, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So it's Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. That's who's reigning over the southern kingdom, Judah, in Israel, when Nebuchadnezzar comes. Now go to two one. Now in the second year of reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled. So we have some, some date issues here because it says Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and took Jerusalem in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. Now go to Jeremiah 25.1, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. What's the problem there? Look at Jeremiah 21. What do we got? Fourth year of Jehoiakim. Daniel 1.1. Third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. What's the problem? It's not the same number, right? Because the first year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the first year when he comes and attacks Jerusalem. So does Jeremiah contradict Daniel and vice versa? Is there an error in Scripture? 
Frank says, no way. It's not possible. Well, we come across this problem a lot as we work through the Old Testament. There's different ways of reckoning the different reigns of a king. We even saw that with northern kingdom, Israel, versus the southern kingdom, Judah. They would reckon their king's reign differently. And this is the case here in Daniel. And 2 1 is written in what language? Aramaic, for the people to read. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams, his spirit was troubled. So we have the Babylonian record, the way that the Babylonians showed his reign in chapter 2, verse 1. But in the second column on the right hand side up here, chapter 1, is the Judean way. Chapter 1 is written in Hebrew for the Hebrew people. How did the Hebrews do it? Well, they didn't do an ascension year or an accession year. In Babylonian terms, the first year you came to power doesn't count. That's just the first year. That's like the president-elect. You don't count that year, even though he's truly king at the time. His first full year is year one. His second full year is year two. But if you're a Hebrew, no, no, no. The first year counts, especially in the kingdom of Judah, because that's how they always did it. First and second kings. So the years are going to be off depending on who's writing to whom. And Jeremiah 25 and Daniel 1, that's for the people of Israel. The year is going to be the right side. In Daniel 2, yes, it's for the people of Israel because they're reading the book of Daniel, but he wants to write it in such a way that the Babylonians could understand. So he speaks in their way of reckoning the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Probably thinking, why do we need to know this? Because somebody's going to say the Bible has errors, number one. And secondly, when you're reading it, if you try to compare it, there might be some, some struggles on this. So, so here's the point. When we go to 2.1, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. So Daniel's already been there a while, and this dream happens. So according to the Babylonian scale, that's really the third year of his reign, isn't it? 603 or 602 B.C. Okay, go back to chapter 1. Third year reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Well, when did he besiege it? 605, 604. He destroyed it. So year 2. See? So they're going to line up depending on which one that you're using. Just to show you, the Bible doesn't have errors. If it's too much today, yeah, we're going to do more math than this eventually, but um, these are always fun to look at, and sometimes you wonder, why can't they just all get on the same calendar? Well, not only did they have different calendars, but they had different ways of looking at recording history as well. Today, everybody in the world is supposed to be on our calendar, right? The Julian or Gregorian calendar. Back then, Every nation had its own calendar, its own way of reckoning the years. All right, the kingdoms of Daniel 2. So we get into some visions, some prophecies. He doesn't specifically say here what these kingdoms are. King has a dream. Secrets revealed to Daniel. Daniel comes. He, he says in 19, starting in 19, who he is who the God that he serves is. The interpretation starts in 31. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. So Daniel doesn't even have to hear about the, the dream. He just knows this is what happened. God told him. There was a single great statue. The statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of gold, fine gold. Its breast and arms of silver. Its belly and its thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. 
its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So now what are these kingdoms, these different layers of the statue? Verse 36, this was a dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Whatever the sons of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, has been given into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So why does he build a statue made of gold of himself? He must really like this dream and thought he was really special. But Daniel just clears that up. You are the head of gold. So we don't have to wonder who the first one is. We definitely have to have Babylon in our answer. Secondly, in verse 39, After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Now, he doesn't tell us the names. He doesn't tell us who those peoples are. He will later on when we get to another vision. But for this one, he doesn't name them. So we're just doing a little work here to figure out which ones these will be. Now, verse 40. I don't know what y'all subhead. What does your subheading in the Bible say? Right above verse 40. Does it have one? It says Rome. So it's doing a, a little help for us here. Same thing with Medo-Persia and Greece, right? They're not in the text, but they're in the subheading for your Bible. Verse 40, then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. And as much as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron. And as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay, as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery. And then in verse 44, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. So that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that will crush all the other nations. We won't talk so much about that one because we know what that one is. What are these other ones mentioned? Well, we know Babylon's mentioned for sure. So A, C, and D have Babylon. We're good there. B, some people would say uh, it's really unspecified. We just can't know. I think we can if we look at other parts of the um, book of Daniel. A just says, you know what? This whole thing is Babylon. Well, he says, after you will arise another, not king in verse 39, but what? Kingdom. Another kingdom's coming after you, and it's going to be different. So then our options get down to, is this Medo, Media and Persia as two different kingdoms? Or they combine like we often think of them in the Bible. And then we go all the way to Rome. I'm going with D, mainly because... The other image later in the book of the lion, the bear, the leopard is very clear for us. So the head of gold, that's Babylon. The breast and arms of silver, Medo-Persia combined. They were two, 
they're together by the time they come into the Bible. So Medo-Persia is together when they attack and destroy Babylon with Cyrus. That's the bear later on in Daniel. The belly and thighs of bronze. Well, if you know anything about Greek history, they had bronze what? Armor. Bronze armor. They fought in bronze. Theirs was a theirs was an empire of bronze. That's called the leopard later. It's going to be Alexander the Great. The legs of iron. Well, by the time you get to Rome, they're not using bronze anymore, but what? Iron. Iron shield. Iron armor. Iron weapons. And we'll see that they're dreadful with iron teeth when we get to the beast. And then the question then becomes later, what does this mixture of iron and clay mean? Is this the Roman Empire in Jesus' day that's kind of mixed with some barbarian provinces? Or is this something in the future which is sort of like a Roman rule around the world, not necessarily with an emperor and all the things we think of in ancient Rome, but we do have the ten horns to deal with, the ten kingdoms later on in the book. So here's just a little picture I found on the Internet. If you don't like pictures and diagrams, don't freak out or anything. But uh, it just kind of helps us to see the statue there and what it might have looked like. This is an artist rendering. The Golden Age, we know that's Babylon. Later, it's the lion in the book of Daniel. The Silver Age, that's the, the Persians and the Medes, the Achaemenid Empire. Later, it's called the bear. And on down, bronze, Greece, on down. So the question then that believers kind of debate is what's going on at the end here with the clay. And we'll come to that next week. We're out of time. An hour is not enough time for Daniel, right? Two hours is not enough time for Daniel. So you have to come back next week to get all the answers to the rest or at least my answers to the rest of the questions. All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for helping us take a jet tour of Daniel. It's a lot for us. It takes some digging. It takes some study. We have to constantly read the Old Testament and see what you're doing there. What are your purposes? How are you going to bring the Messiah? What's he going to do when he comes? There's so much richness in the Old Testament. And so I just pray that we would read it more. That, th that we would not be cutting the Old Testament out of our Bibles, but that we would learn and get instruction from it. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.